I'm Daniel Jose Oldner. And I'm Brittany N. Williams. And this is Ink Bottle, a podcast about life, creativity, parenting, and creative parenting. (laughs) (laughs) Cue the music. wanted to start out today by talking about a milestone event in our parenting lives, which is mm. that Tito has begun daycare. Oh, child. <laughs> this is a major event. It's particularly major for us for a number of reasons. One of those is, you know, he was born during quarantine mm-hmm. and he became a one-year-old during quarantine and a one-and-a-half-year-old during quarantine. And we only fairly recently brought in a nanny at all so it's really been the three of us yeah for almost two years yeah with mommy and daddy writing full-time right (laughs) mommy sometimes acting sometimes directing (laughs) yes took a brief stint as a co-artistic director of a theater company yeah i say brief but it was a year it was literally a year not brief so So there's been a lot going on for us there's been a lot going on for him but um specifically it's a big change for all of us i think it to, is to have him first of all just to have him not around all day and second of all to have time in our lives <laughs> and, right <laughs> and then third of all to have a kid you know growing up much faster because he's around a lot of other kids now yeah so there's a lot happening um he has friends y'all he's he making friends <laughs> today when we today specifically when we dropped him off, the other kids lit up when they saw him yep. one, one kid yeah one kid ran over and um, this was the first day with no tears. He waved yeah. to us and was like, all right, bye, mom, bye, he dad. Just, yeah, he dismissed us. He did. <laughs> he said, you can go now. Ruthlessly. He said, so. it's time for me to play here with my friends. You guys do whatever it is you do when you're at home alone. <laughs> so the kid's all right. The, the kid is all right. right. The parents, on the other hand. <laughs> it's been rough. <laughs> it's hard, man. It's, I, I think, I think the, for me, one of the hardest parts is the whiplash of, of simultaneous emotions mm-hmm. happening. And that, and that, I do love, you know, having more than two hours a day to get work done and yeah. also to, to not get work done. And that's a luxury that we haven't had for two years. Yeah. And I, I do love that. And I also miss him. Yeah. <laughs> like as yeah. weird as it is to say and, and to feel. Go mm-hmm. ahead. And I mean, I'm the same. Like selfishly, I want to spend as much time with him as possible. <laughs> Um, I thought you. I, I, also, just, I thought you were gonna say selfishly. I'm happy to have time on my own. I, I mean, say, but I was not, about to get there. But that's not selfish. Right. So I'm glad you didn't say that. Like, well, yeah. You know. I, I also am very happy to have time on my own because I have not rolled solo in three years because the whole time he was in there percolating, it was me and that baby, <laughs> and right. that cut into my work time because sitting up at a desk for long periods of time as I was pregnant was very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um. And, uh, you know, I also am very happy because he's having such a good time. Yeah. He's growing so much. Yeah. He loves people so much. He he's does. making friends. And it's just really nice to have him be around, you know, kids his age. They send um, pictures over this app, which is a perk I did not expect and really <laughs> have come to appreciate a lot. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's just like uh, this little update couple times a day to let us know that he's having fun and that he ate his meal or some of his meal whatever and truly brings joy and also kind of makes us feel a little less like Mm -hmm. like 
that total absence, right? Like we have yeah. some idea what's going on with him, which is nice. Mm-hmm. But it's also so wild because I know it's hit me, and I, I know that this has hit you too. Mm-hmm. The first, um, the first like few days of him being out of the house at school. I was absolutely fucking exhausted. <laughs> and I was like, how am I this tired when he's not here? Uh-huh. I and, think the, I'm experiencing that today, randomly. I didn't have it as much yeah. last week, but I'm feeling it today and yesterday. Yeah. I think the body stores exhaustion in mm-hmm. places. Like, it squirrels it away. Like, yeah. In places <laughs> that it'll tap into it when mm-hmm. we're able to and suddenly we're able to. Right. You know, it's, like when you, it's like when you finally take a... A vacation or something, right. and your body immediately like, gets sick. Yeah, yeah it, <laughs> right. it is that. It's that. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's happened to both of us. I think there's different forms of stress that are at play and mm-hmm. kind of at war with each other. <laughs> We're just like, yeah. oh, that stress was replaced by a different one, and you know. Yeah. But I will say, you know, overall, I feel, it, feels, it feels like a very positive moment for all those different emotions and all the mm-hmm. uh, the conflicting feelings, having those emotions at the same time and everything else. I feel really excited for him and excited for us and you know happy for everybody and like these feel like the right emotions to be yeah having, yeah, if there, yeah if there can be said such a thing if such a thing could be said but um it's but amazing we, we can say the the healthy productive emotions yeah exactly they're um, you know not right or wrong or good or bad or just like the healthier more productive ones i think yeah so. the, the other thing that is it was is that last week marked two years since hurricane ida yes which um and and was also the anniversary of hurricane katrina mm-hmm. um because they hit on the same day they did um august 29th mm-hmm. and for that for ida you know we evacuated um tito was on the way <laughs> he, was a, yeah. he was still a couple weeks out but he was um you know you were eight months pregnant yes we had two dogs we still have two dogs mm-hmm. and a car full of us yeah. <laughs> full of family and uh we we um evacuated to jackson you know i remember the moment that we were like you know what we gotta go because it was when like a lot of the folks around us who've lived here for a much longer time than we have and local folks uh were like you know what this is not the one to test yeah. <laughs> you could you, there's a vibe it and it it rolled up really quickly mm-hmm. it it had it came out of nowhere and it strengthened very quickly mm-hmm. similarly to the storm that just hit in florida mm-hmm. like it popped up and was almost a category five by the time it hit mm. it was like the our neighbors who did stay said that they will never stay again because mm-hmm. the sound was Horrific. Damn near pulled the roof off of our house. Yes, it 150 a... mile per hour wind gusts. There were tornadoes. The uh, power lines that feed all electricity into the city got knocked into the Mississippi River. Mm-hmm. It was rough, y'all. It was rough. And, and in the middle of it, I got while we were in a hotel in Jackson, Mississippi, with two dogs, a baby on the way. I got I got an editorial note about Midnight Horizon that had all these changes I had to fix. Oh, well, remember, I got I got my editorial notes from uh, Fireside for right. my short story. Right. We while were we both, were in the, like, yes. This is a writer-ass writer moment. Listen. Like, so much going on. Well, also, not for nothing, the hurricane that hit in 2020 over mm. Halloween weekend, remember, I was working on a project that ended up not going, coming into fruition, but it was a, um, a audio drama for mm. a kid's toy company. 
and they had asked for edits and we lost power <laughs> and I was trying, I was doing the edits on my phone and I hit my deadline still. So that makes me extra salty that like the project never right. happened. Cause I was like, tag, I did all this work on a hurricane and y'all like take my project. Mm. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it, shit happens. Indeed. Indeed. So all of that to say, <laughs> <laughs> today we are talking about beginnings. Yes. I think that was a pretty good segue. Yeah, There's a lot of beginnings good, in there. <laughs> anyway, yep. we're going to talk about beginnings in terms of process, as in when to begin, and we're going to talk about beginnings as in product and project and in-world in terms of what a beginning is responsible for, what is the function of the beginning, and what does it need to accomplish. Mm-hmm. But let's start with process because I think there's so many questions and in part because there are no easy and obvious answers as with everything we process right right, um about when do you start so for you with book one Mm -hmm. how did you know you were ready to start like start writing or start the story right start writing um i didn't i just had to it was november (laughs) yes i made myself start it was nanowrimo and i made myself start that's real and you know that's very valid, especially pre... You weren't on a deadline. You no. Know, no one was making you write this book. Nope. No one was paying you to write this book nope. yet. And that's a perfectly good... That's a really good answer. Yeah. I, I think a lot of times... A lot of... I mean, you know, A+. Plus. <laughs> it worked. Gold star. Exactly. <laughs> Which is to say, a lot of books... Um, a lot of writers start books with, with not at the quote-unquote right moment to start, mm-hmm. or just but just because... You know, you have to start somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it becomes even more imperative once you have sold something and you are on a deadline. Exactly. Like, yes, and waiting for the inspiration is lovely and wonderful and beautiful and the ideal. But also, like, once it becomes a job, you got to start your job. Right. Well, th- and that that brings up the other. There's waiting for inspiration. There's just randomly starting, and then there is pushing your pre-work mm. to the point that you're ready. Yeah. Which is an active process as opposed to the other two. One is chaotic and the other is passive, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, what most writers who are on deadline end up doing is yeah. doing the pre-work and getting themselves to the point where it's time. Right. Well, when you say pre-work. What do I mean? What do you mean? What indeed do I mean? Well, what, did, what was your pre-work for South St. Metal? Didn't you have a short story written? Yes, I had a short story that I wrote that and got pre-work. rejected multiple times. Every time. Completely rejected. As, 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 rightfully, as so. I mean, rightfully so. No, right, rightfully so. No, right, rightfully so. It's good. It's a great short it was a good short story. It's a better chapter novel. Right, and it's chapter, a, it's interesting that I took this like short story that was I think two thousand words, maybe less, and turned it into a trilogy. So that should tell you I was how how right it was to reject that short story. It was not just one book. It has it was three books worth of stuff. Right, but it was pre work. Yeah. Too. Okay. Yeah. And sometimes pre work is publishable. I don't think it like by definition doesn't yeah. work as shorts. But did you have other pre work? Well, okay. The, let's not the, let's add in there, but not fully count your entire life of performing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, studying Shakespeare. Yes. Stage combat training. Yeah. All of that stuff. I mean, being a chaotic bisexual. Right. <laughs> I mean that that feeds into all art research, really. right? My my ancestral. You should get paid for that, right? <laughs> chaos by my my monthly chaos bisexual stipend. Yes, you need to get W twos at the right? end, of the, or probably ten. It'd be a ten ninety nine. Yeah, yeah. In true chaotic bisexual fashion, it'd be a ten ninety nine. Maybe now that we're married, it's a W two. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this took a turn. Anyway. Right. Yeah. So. 
But, you know, I know you always talk about pre-work, um, not just being like research and stuff, but also just the, the act of like contemplating the story, thinking about it, turning things over in your brain, having those moments where the scenes that you want to write pop up in your head and mm-hmm. jotting those notes down and mm-hmm. like, yeah. just like this, this prep, whether it's active prep of actual note taking or passive prep of daydreaming about your story. Like right. you, you talk about that when you talk about when we talk about pre-writing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's a whole range within that, that you just explained perfectly. And that's it. I think for me, I know I can say that there are moments when the story crosses the threshold of really feeling alive unto itself mm-hmm. and it might not be this exact same moment when it's ready to when i'm ready to start writing it but that's how i know i'm getting very close mm-hmm. like like you said like scenes will start to write themselves that's all, i think there's definitely a connection to that and also you knowing the character well enough that mm-hmm. the character starts to write themselves right. and speak out loud in their voice in your head and that can take to be clear like time is um, a kind of a non-entity in this like that can take a long time there are characters that are brewing for years and years and mm-hmm. then suddenly show up fully formed because they've been brewing all that time and when you trace them back you can kind of see the archetypes that they've been throughout your life that you've been checking in on and then there's other you know characters that just show up that you haven't been brewing at all and you're like mm-hmm. oh yeah I know who that is or whatever but the the idea being that there is a life to the story and you can feel it in your bones and it's almost to the point for me where if I don't write it down I start to get really like it's it's almost like it's a it's growing inside of me and mm-hmm. I have to release it yeah in order to let the rest of it grow right mm-hmm. and that's a beautiful thing and it can be a very troubling thing <laughs> if you don't know what's happening <laughs> right or if right. you don't have the wherewithal to get it out you know like you need to put it down on paper mm-hmm. or speak it into existence or whatever it is in part because that helps you clear your head, in part because there are parts of the story that you figure out in the note-taking of them or in the writing of them mm-hmm. that you won't know until you do that. And that those will also unlock other parts. And I say that because sometimes we want it to show up fully formed or we get frustrated that like we don't have XYZ piece. But you might need to write ABC piece before XYZ piece can show yeah. up. Yeah, no, definitely. And there you have to it's the hardest part of it all but you have to turn off or either turn off or turn down that inner editor when Mm -hmm. you are writing that first draft yeah i always think of it i can't remember if we talked about this before but i think i think there's writer brain i think there's reader brain and i think there's editor brain Mm -hmm. and editor brain is very dangerous to have turned on during any part of the process except for editing it is that's when you get stuck in that endless loop of (laughs) tweaking like you you've written two chapters and you keep going back and tweaking those same chapters and it's so easy to get stuck in that loop when you're writing the beginning of your story yeah because there's so much pressure that's put on you know, the first line, you have to catch them with the first chapter, you have right. to catch them with the first pages that you really, it you can spend an eternity right. trying to fine tune that first little bit of your story exactly. to the point where you don't get to any of the wow. rest. Right. And here's when you don't have to do all those things, though, in the first draft. And I know it's a it's like a cliche, right? Shitty first drafts. Absolutely. But it's a cliche for a reason. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's one that we so we say it so often because we also often forget. Like it's immediately you could literally sit down and be like, all right, writing a shitty first draft. And then be like, but what's it going to start with? (laughs) Right. And it's it's less like (laughs) writing a shitty first draft than writing a 
judgment-free first draft. Yeah, that's a, you know what? Yes. I think that it just came to me. I know. That's brilliant. brilliant. See? Boom. No, it is. That's really good. That's, that's really a good. brilliant first draft right there. Because people have an understandable sort of a resistance to being like, yeah, I'm going to write some shitty work. Yeah. And it feels, I know, like, for me, somebody who has anxiety, um, it feels like I'm putting too much work on my future self to be like, I'm just going to write something shitty right now. That's not a problem for today, Brittany. That's, that's a problem for future Brittany. That's interesting. So there's that added pressure of yeah. knowing that, okay, the next time I look at this, the work is going to be exponentially harder sure. because I'm writing something that's quote unquote shitty. So I think if it's uh, more judgment free and honestly, my first, the last first draft I wrote was not shitty. That's it was no, good. I know I read it. It was fantastic. Oh, thank you. Oh, no, no, no. No, I'm you didn't. The, <laughs> you didn't. You, you read the first, the first book first draft. Right. I'm sure that last one was good too. You were uh, talking it's me better. through it. It's way. better than I believe the, that. Yeah. But here's how I think of it. Um, well, not but and um, because I also struggle with like I I'm fine with writing I don't am I fine I guess I'm not fine. I couldn't even say it out loud I'm fine with writing <laughs> shitty work apparently no, not no you were not <laughs> not at no, all but I'm definitely not a perfectionist no. and I um and I do know the difference between the work I put out into the world and the work that I write for me or whatever mm-hmm. um having said that I also know and I and I tell my students all the time writing is not performance art and we should act like it's not because it's not yes but there's a but um that i've been thinking more and more about as i've been drawing um because it as much as it's not a performance art and we get to edit it and everything else we are also recording the moment of writing with our words Mm. and i say that because what i do know experientially from writing a lot is that flow matters and where you're at matters and that's not cause to become a perfectionist or to get it right. It's the opposite. Like, I don't think in terms of writing shitty first drafts. I think in terms of flow. Mm. And I know when I'm locked in in the flow of a story, it's not a it's not a simple binary, right? It's not an either flow or not, right? Mm-hmm. And usually you kind of work up to it and then you're like in it and then you're flowing. And then, you know, the dogs bark and you have to come out of it or whatever, or, mm-hmm. you know, the, the kid needs something. But the point is, you know, that feeling of flow, if you look for it, you, you do know it. And when you're really rolling on it, that's like you're moving and that matters. It matters because it literally affects the words that come out of you. And yes, you can change them. Yes, you can edit, but the flow and the original moment still does matter. And it doesn't mean uh, don't write if you're not in the mood. It doesn't mean like, you know um that you should be a perfectionist either like i said but it does mean that it's be an awareness of that Mm -hmm. can dramatically change your process so i so knowing that how that affects me in terms of like structurally on the ground writing workflow is that um if i'm flowing i will flow and knowing that and honoring that is more important than getting the right word at the right time Mm. and that's movement it's so so talking about like flow that makes me then acting there's um the laban technique and there's a description for a quality of movement and that um there's several things like weight tempo Mm. um but their flow in particular is Mm. like a next level one and it's either free flow or bound flow Mm. and the way to think of it is either the absence or the presence of tension so if you think of somebody sitting in a space and moving um the way I think about it is someone who has nervous energy. It's mm-hmm. the difference between someone swaying from side to side mm. versus somebody bouncing their knee. So mm. bouncing your knee is more like bound flow. 
swaying side to side would be more free flow. Uh-huh. So it's not, um, it's all movement, right? but it's just whether there's tension there or whether there's not. So I think if you if you think of that in terms of writing, sometimes when you sit down to write, there right. may be this like tension you have to fight through. It may feel like getting these words out is slogging through right. like humidity or molasses. Like you're really struggling to get there. And other times you sit down and the words just like fall out of your hands like nothing. But both of those are movement. Right. So don't don't make a judgment. You're still getting somewhere. Right. And also the slogging sometimes is what you have to get through to get to the flow. Absolutely. Like you, you can't um, be like, oh, God, it's slogging. I'm not going to do it because you might have to slog. Certain, yeah. And this is certain writers, but also certain mm-hmm. sections of certain books, certain days of certain weeks. You don't yes, know. Certain what, hours. Certain hours. Right. And you have to go through those different. So, right. So been talking about flow, what I don't want to um, sound like is that I'm saying like it either flows or it doesn't. Right. Um, or that if it's not flowing, it's not going to be good. None of those mm-hmm. things are true, but having an awareness of it means that you're tapping into that, feeling it, feeling what got you there, tracking that, you know, to some extent, mm-hmm. being self-reflective about your flow state with writing, which is acknowledging also that you're not always going to be in that flow state. And sometimes you're still throwing words at the page and they, it might be a thing where you get those words down and then you know you're going to come back to them later, not in a hard work sense, but just in a factual sense, like, all right, now I have the structure of the scene. Now I can go back and do a flow run on it. And like now that it's there, so I'm not trying to like wrestle with the scene, mm-hmm. figure out what it is. You know, that's why there's different writers that do things in different ways. I bring up drawing because the way that you move your body to make every line is is captured by the line. Mm-hmm. And that's a truth that I kind of knew but hadn't heard anyone say until I started learning again about drawing. Yeah. And I just think that's true for words, too. Yeah. And they say write with your whole body, but what does that mean? You know. Yeah. Like, and just as a sidebar, when you say flow, yeah. you mean flow in like the in like the the hip hop sense. Like, yes. like the <laughs> yes, as opposed to <laughs> as opposed to like when I say flow, I just mean the like. Fluidity. the Yeah, the movement, how the quality of the movement. I, like mean, the, I mean, both. OK. I know what you mean. Because like yeah. the way I'm thinking of it is anytime you sit down and words come, the words are flowing. But it's just whether they're flowing freely or flowing in a bound way, like whether there's tension or not tension. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. OK, that's just different. I'm talking about like, yeah. um, I hesitate to say the flow state because it's, that sounds like an either or proposition. Mm-hmm. But the state of the, the kind of open ended uh, spectrum of flow yeah. that you move in different directions in mm-hmm. while you're in the creative process like when you're keyed in you when know? you're keyed like in when you're in the pocket and also the the quality of movement mm-hmm. that you have right yeah. it, like like you said whether you're pushing up against a lot of resistance and then suddenly it releases and that's the other thing you just never know when it's going to release like yeah there's times when it's an uphill battle uphill battle and then a gradual release into like i got it this is what it is mm-hmm. um that being like the heightened flow state where you're mm-hmm. really flowing and then there's times when you're pushing, pushing, pushing. And then very suddenly it's like, kakang, you know, and yeah. everything is boom. And then you fall back again, you know, um, on a process note. And I think we've talked about this before, actually, in this already. But, you know, I've noticed for me that I'll, I'll jump in and out of um, social media when I'm writing, mm-hmm. you know, and like, I know that like, I'll, I'll literally write on a comic script the other day I was working on, I would write two lines of dialogue 
And then I would be like, yeah, I got to just get on some app and look at like just nonsense. Like, mm-hmm. And I know my brain, like I know that my brain was just like needed that. And I knew too, I've worked up an understanding with myself that I'm not going to totally spiral into a rabbit hole for that. Right. I just need to check out and then check back in. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I would do that, and I would literally be gone for like five minutes, if that, probably a couple of minutes tops. And then I would come back to the script and I would immediately write two more lines. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. You're and, getting there. Yeah. And like that's, that's its own flow state, though, is yeah. what I'm saying. Like it sounds very, if you were to track it on like an app tracker or whatever, you'd be like, dang, this kid is all over the map. You know, like you're bouncing mm-hmm. in and out, you're stopping and starting. But I was in a flow state. You know, I was moving. And, yeah. I, and, the, and look, the script is done. Lucasfilm has it. <laughs> well, there you go. Also, your brain needs a break. Like it's, it's like yeah, you know, it, writing is like being on a treadmill, right. but for your brain meat. So you need Not like, meat. <laughs> I mean, it is meat. No, your brain is. meat. So you need sometimes you just need to, you know, it's like uh, when you're when you're trying to run long distances. Yeah. Sometimes you need to turn like if you're on the treadmill, you got to turn that speed back down for right. a minute, two minutes. That's you gotta. Right. Give yourself a little break. Let yourself catch your breath. Mm-hmm. Regain your energy before you dive back into the, you know, the hard work of sprinting. And not for nothing, that provides variety, mm-hmm. which is important both in the work itself and in the process. Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to go just like hardcore at 10 all the time. Right. And that would be boring if you did. It would be. It would be. Speaking of flow, we are flowing, you and I. Right. This yeah, we are. We've totally forgot about beginnings, though. So back to the beginning. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> the, the purpose of our let's get existence. back on track i got it boom um so yeah i know for me yeah the way one way i stay out of that um uh that like loop that you get trapped in trying to make your opening as perfect as it can be is um i know for a fact that i'm going to change the beginning mm, like i, I like i'm like let me just start and I know the beginning will be different. With right. my past two novels, the opening chapter of the first draft is not the opening that ends up in, you know, the latest draft. Right. I don't want to say final for book two because we're not at the final yet. But like right. um, chapter, the original chapter one for that selfsame medal is now chapter five. Mm-hmm. I want to say chapter four, chapter five, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you see how that... And it was a good opening, but the new yeah. one was better. Right. The original the original chapter one for Shadow Shaver is literally in the trash bin. And like, that's It's not in the trash bin. It's on Wattpad. It's on Wattpad. It's um it's a good case study in what not to do in beginnings, mm-hmm. but it also but it also like led me to write the whole book, right? right. So it's like I have to always honor it, even though it like mm-hmm. I know now uh, analytically all the ways that it wasn't working and why. And it's a good like learning point, but right. also like I had to write that first chapter mm-hmm. to write the rest of Shadow Shaper, that draft, which then became, right, you know, which wasn't even Shadow Shaper then. But I just think like we are so quick to sort of hate our bad work, but we have to thank our, yeah. not even bad, but just the work that like gets cut. Like we have to thank it because it got us mm-hmm. here, you know, like the, yeah. the bones of a, you know, the sketch underneath a, a figure study, mm-hmm. like it doesn't end up in the final drawing, but nope your final drawing would be shite without it yep and honestly like if y'all get a chance to hop on over to Wattpad and read uh sierra santiago and the invisible city that's right which is the earliest version of shadow shaper Mm -hmm. and then sit down and read shadow shaper and you can really see what the excavation process was for getting to that final story that has had such like 
lasting power and is so great and amazing. Shadow Shaper was just named one of the most, what was it, influential? I mean, you were on Time's list of like one of the best fantasy novels of all time. I know, so but this was a new one. This is a new I know, one. yes. <laughs> this okay, week, yes. like this Book week. Riot said, Shadow Shaper was one of the, I think it was the most one of the most influential fantasy books. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it was cool. But also Time Magazine said that, so yeah, come no, on no, now. No, you're right. Yeah. Shout like, out to both of them, all of them. Bars. Yes. So yeah, it's a really good, and you know, you it's a great opportunity to see, um, to kind of peek behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. You don't usually get to see an early version of a writer's work like that and compare it to That's right. the That's final version. So yeah, and speaking for of free, true. free ninety nine. Speaking of plugging my own work uh, and beginnings, I have a class up on Skillshare specifically about beginnings and also one that's like writing fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Um, which you should check out. Yeah, go take those classes. They're really good. They are really good. So, But um, more about beginnings. When you know, we talked about when you know when to start. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we talked about when you know when to start writing. Ah, uh, yeah. When do you know, or when do you know where to start the story? Or how do you know when to start the story? You don't do not do that. No, no, no. Don't no, say no, at, the, no, don't no, say at the beginning. Wait, wait, wait. Before we All get to shade. that, though. Before All we shade. get to that, I do, you were touching on something interesting that actually doesn't get talked about a lot, though, in beginnings conversations, which is not where you, when you start writing, but when do you start the pre-work? That's kind of a lost question, I think, because people sort of slide into that as if they know, or we, we all just kind of take it for granted that people are just like, oh, yeah, I just this is the idea I'm going to go with. But that's in itself a beginning and an important creative mark marker point that, yeah, we don't we don't talk about that. But like, yeah. how do you know? Because the, the I think there's a moment that and I think it's a little bit of a vague moment. Maybe that's mm-hmm. why we don't talk about it that much. But there's an, a moment when the idea settles and that's the one you're going with. Yeah. And that I'm- defines your whole direction. Yeah, and it can either be like a, I think it can either be a, a big like spark moment mm-hmm. where you, you know, the idea comes to you and you're like, oh, yes, right. that. Right. Or, you know, the moment could also be you're juggling between a couple things and you do a little more research and right. then one just kind of edges out the other and you're like, mm, you know what, right. I'm, I'm really <laughs> excited about this. Yeah. Um, it can be that, you know, the one line you read in um, research for something else, like you talk about how you were working on that project for um, Crow Hill. This is what I was just thinking and, about this. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, oh, you yeah, tell it. It's your story. Go ahead. Technically. T- I love telling your stories, but go ahead. <laughs> I love that about you. <laughs> I remember. I tell them well. I remember them. I I got an eye for detail. (laughs) We would have a problem. Right. But go ahead. Anyway, um, you out here boring people with my story. (laughs) So anyway, then Daniel said. (laughs) Anyway. um, Right. So I was researching a rock opera in Brooklyn, (laughs) as one does. The Brooklyn Historical Society gave me a grant to write a rock opera. This feels like another lifetime. Hmm. And uh, it was. (laughs) This was like 2010. Oh wild. man! Yeah, thirteen years. <sighs> Some of y'all were fetuses. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I was in their stacks. That it's like they have this magical castle fortress building in uh, downtown Brooklyn on Pierpont Street, and it's amazing. And they were just like, "Hey, you want to, you know, just do a project based on something from our archives?" And I was like, "I was born for this, <laughs> yes." So I was, I was at the time I lived in a neighborhood called Crown Heights that was referred to by the elders as Crow Hill. Which, if you're a fantasy writer, you know, carries a lot of exciting possibilities. So I started researching that, um, and that led me down a whole lot of amazing 
historical archival rabbit holes and turned into a rock opera. And in the course of all that, I was studying uh, Civil War era New York. And I came across this kind of like side note about some orphan girls that, or I don't know if they were orphans, some sisters uh, from Cuba who were brought to the what was called the Colored Orphan Asylum, which was burnt down during the Civil War draft riots. And they were left there unceremoniously by a mysterious character and then picked up several months later and, and whisked back off to Cuba. And that's it. Like, we don't have any other knowledge of them basically beyond that. And I was at first, I was like, oh, Cubans, you know, like mm-hmm. you had that moment of just like, what? Like we were there on some level. It's, and I knew that I knew that, that Cubans were around back then, obviously. Right. And I figured we were in New York. Right? Right. Like the Island does have quite a history. I just hadn't thought about, you don't see them like in, you know, people don't talk about them. Right. Yeah. And, and so it just immediately I like locked onto the story and, and, and I think, a very common reaction to not knowing, you know, the rest of a story, especially in history, or to the loss of like archival data is is fantasy and to make it up and to wonder, you know, that. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a moment when our minds go from research mode into imagination mode. Mm-hmm. And I felt it happen as I as I wondered, like, what if they got away from this mysterious stranger? First of all, I had all the trappings of, a you know, like a classic children's book mm-hmm. <laughs> in the best way. Um and I thought about what if they made it out into the streets like of New York City in that era? Like what would they see, feel, smell? What adventures would they have? And what if they could ride pterodactyls? You know, oh. and like that's the foundational question of uh, so much. Uh, and that became? Dactyl Hill Squad. Oh, off was, of that one little historical really, note. Really, like the after that, the series wrote itself. Like it really felt like it did. Obviously, I did a ton more research and I worked really hard on the books and mm-hmm. I structured them and there's a ton of side characters and all this other stuff is very like structured like an epic fantasy. Right. And there's a a lot of extremely accurate civil war history. That was, and that was something that I tricked myself with. And this really does relate back to, to beginnings because, you know, I knew I had a lot of research to do. And since we're talking about research, one of my methods is to really start as wide as possible and then uh, gradually narrow in based on that wide reading, you know? So I, Started with, uh, don't make fun of me, but the documentary series on Netflix about the Civil War, which is really good, covers the entirety of it and gives you a bird's eye view perspective. And from there, I started to, you know, zero in. And that's when I went to books and, you know, really figured out what part of the Civil War, what mm-hmm. both geographically and chronologically, where I was focused, what, where was, where, but mostly what was I excited by? You know, yeah. like those first two years sucked because <laughs> the... <laughs> The the Union was on his back foot, you know, yeah. like they were letting the Confederates kick their ass up and down the coast and it was a disaster. And then there's this distinct turning point, you know, around Gettysburg and Vicksburg when like, you know, the Union, go, the United States goes on the offense, all this stuff. And I was tracking what was interesting to me and where I would drop my characters in, like mm-hmm. where they would parachute in from these pterodactyls into the front lines and following my excitement. And I also included dinosaurs very consciously. First of all, because dinosaurs are awesome. Yes, Second of all, because I'm a Absolutely. fantasy writer. So there was going to be some element. But I also knew I didn't want to, I didn't expect to get as nerdy as I did on the history aspect. Mm. So I was kind of like, if there's pterodactyls involved, no one can be like, Gettysburg actually happened one week earlier. Right. Which like, not for nothing, but yeah. And like, whatever. Mm-hmm. But also um, the joke was on me because then I got re- like, there are details, like you said, in there 
that are totally just very, very deep cut details. Oh, oh I remember. Right. <laughs> and My, then, I know much more about the Civil War now because of your, <laughs> exactly. you being like, babe, look what I found. Right. Okay, so listen to this. And I'm like, okay, cool. It must be said, always in the service of story. Like right. you do have to like, you know, fit those yeah. in. Oh, in I hate all the good details that you end up having to leave. Yes, because this whole like, book's full of them. Yes, yeah, so much juicy stuff. All I have to say is there was a moment in that process where I was like, I have to write. Like mm-hmm. you, you're almost like filling your brain with, you know, these all these morsels of information and imagination that yeah. at some point are going to spill out. And you can't, like they ask that question, like when do you know you're ready? It's like, yeah. when do you, how can you not know? Like is right. how it often I mean, feels. sometimes, sometimes yes. you cannot know. And like yes, I said, absolutely. in my, in my uh, August <laughs> newsletter, sometimes research can become a tool of procrastination a very good tool of procrastination yes um and then you get to the point where it's like all right i need to stop and get started Mm -hmm. because i am not researching to fill my brain or to fill the well so that i can you know let all the facts marinate and come out into the story i am researching to cover the fear i have of (laughs) actually diving in and putting words down on the page so that's very self-aware yeah yeah i mean it's it's for real yeah, yeah you know yeah. and it happens to me there are thousands of us no no hundreds I, yeah of thousands absolutely of us. i totally absolutely so, and it must be said and then yeah. there's and that's and i think that works too like i don't think that's a bad method yeah i think you have to be very self-aware in order to manage that method and yeah. not let it manage you mm-hmm. um but it's really real you know and, yeah. it, and it and i think we all we all do that method to some extent it's always mm-hmm. a question of like how much when do you stop right and, and yeah you know, sometimes you stop because, like I said, you you don't have a choice because the words in the story are pouring out. And yeah. sometimes you have to make yourself stop very yep. consciously. Stephen King, interestingly enough, does his research after he's written a book, hmm. which I get. And I think there's something to be said for it. But it really does depend on who you are as a writer, first of all, and yeah. how, you know, I don't think he's talking about writing a period piece like that. Yeah. You know no, I mean? there is a certain base knowledge you have to have. Yeah especially when you're writing historical novels because you will constantly run into things in the story that you can't write your way through without knowing how they work. Yeah. And I say this as someone who is writing in a, you know, in 1605 who's writing a book set in 1605 and 1606 there were numerous times where i would run into stuff and it's like oh shit i don't know how this works (laughs) right like just like little little stuff like okay it's time for them to all sit down and have breakfast okay what does joan's house look like oh what does this look like how like just little details and i you know if i could make a little note there's some i saw i can't remember where i saw this um advice but it says if you run into something in your story and you don't know how to you don't you know you need to research it later write in elephant or some other word that's really going to stand out so you can track it and you do find and replace once Uh you finish the draft and Uh you come back and you fix it i am very hesitant to do that because i need to know everything about everything (laughs) um so i keep a lot of research books close at hand and but you know that about yourself yeah and I mean, it works for you because yeah. you know it. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's what we keep coming back to is that being able to be self-reflective, have an awareness of your process and what you mm-hmm. need and what you don't need. You know, even knowing like there's some things you want, 
like to not write and there's yeah. some things you need like to have a certain amount of research done before mm-hmm. you write and those are different things and knowing the difference like gets yeah. you so much mileage in terms of getting in terms of process yeah i think it makes you a stronger writer right because it, it's all that's the skill of it writing abs- exactly it absolutely does and not another but that's why i've talked about this before i know journaling you know that's mm-hmm. how you track that stuff like you, you you write just write down the very basics of like today was a hard day I think it might be because of this, you know, and then mm-hmm. like you have that record to look back on. The other thing I was going to say was particularly with historical stuff, you and I both know this, like there's so much juicy, incredible, mm-hmm. fascinating stuff that's yep. been lost to history. Yes. Very often because of white supremacy, because, mm-hmm. because of, of patriarchy. patriarchy, like all this <laughs> shit. Like, the double whammy. Yeah. Double whammy, you know. double whammy. And so it's not a mistake. It's not a natural thing that it's gone. It's mm-hmm. an unnatural thing. And it's, it's very intentional. It's very intentional. It serves very specific purposes. It's mm-hmm. erasure. And I think a lot of our work, you and I both and a lot of the people we're talking to, you know, revolves around a, a kind of archaeology of that stuff. Yeah. And finding out how it can fit into story in a fun and interesting and exciting way. Mm-hmm. And that's guided my storytelling, you know, like mm-hmm. learning so much of those histories really transformed Dactyl Hill Squad yeah. and made it what it is that in a way that it w- I wouldn't have been able to do if I tried to write it first mm-hmm. and then been like, now let's see what really happened. And right. Like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> like, and you really, yeah. you know, you have to you you have to dig because there's always like some the loudest voices in um, the like in the field aren't always the most accurate Mm -hmm. and also due to patriarchy white supremacy heteronormativity Mm -hmm. a lot of the scholars who are doing more of the excavation work are pushed to the margins right so you have to you have to dig and you have to stay flexible that's right that's right because sometimes you will write the whole book and then you find the perfect research book that says by the way all this we've heard about only men being involved in theater during Shakespeare's time. That's not true because this is all the ways that the women were involved. And you got to go through and change everything. And it's fine. It's totally cool. (laughs) And the book is better for it. And the book is better for it. That that happened to somebody. That didn't happen. Asking for a friend. Right. Asking for a friend. Just saying for a friend. But the book is literally better for it. Mm -hmm. Like we're better writers for it. You know what mine was? Um, Cafe Du Monde, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Cafe Du Monde was... Founded in 1865 during the Civil War. And the first black people weren't allowed there until like 19... A century later. Right, 1965. <laughs> Literally, like, desegregation had to happen. Right. And that mattered because I had... The, I love Cafe Du Monde and a little less knowing that. But like... Um, I, so, and I knew it was old. I knew it was like about that old. So I wanted the characters to go there. Um, and then <laughs> but, they couldn't. Nope. <laughs> but but that led me down to... We were talking to our friend Jalisa, you know, mm-hmm. who grew up here and learning about other histories of um, black coffee shop owners, you know, mm-hmm. um, who, you know, were doing that work because no one else was. Oh, what was her last name? Her first name was Rose. We'll put it in the notes. Right. But yeah, there was a, a black woman named Rose who. Um, who shows up? Who shows yeah. up as a character in the book? Yeah, she that, does, you know. and she. She ran her own coffee stand yeah. and used that money to buy her freedom. So the next part of the conversation is going to be about beginnings in terms of what it needs to do in the story, functionality, the work that the beginning has to do. If you want to find this, then you can become a paid subscriber to my Substack, Daniel Jose Older. 
at Substack. Uh, then if you want to hear the rest of this conversation, you can become a paid subscriber on my Substack where you will find the rest of this conversation. The full version, yes. The full conversation. Um, we're about to talk about beginnings and how beginnings work in a story. Yes. This has been okay. Ink Bottle. Yes, a podcast about... Bottles and ink. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Thank y'all so much. Subscribe to my substick. <laughs> Thank you. So I can. Okay. All right, bye. Bye.